It is Tuesday, June 8th. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Dan, I mean, you're rocking it. But wait, first, we have to introduce our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. We will be joined by the great Peter Hanks, a strategist at Daily FX. I am fired up. It's hot outside. You know what else is hot, Dan? You are. How are you? Yeah, thanks. You said I'm rocking it, guy. You know, I'm taking, I'm looking, I'm looking right at you through the Zoom, but I also have a screen up to my right, which you can't see, that is literally has me in line to buy tickets for the Foo Fighters at MSG. Oh, I love the Food Fighters. Yeah, you know what? You know what? You know, we were once asked on a segment of, of Fast Money last year, I think if there was a song that embodies this market, you remember that? You know what my title was? Everlong. You remember that? Because it just kept on going up and up and up. Everlong's a great song by the Foo Fighters. There's no D on the end of that guy. Yeah, no, I know that. I, I'm kidding. And I like the guitarist is that the guy that's in the Hall of Fame with like three different bands, right? I, but, you know, I would give, if you want to play that game, um, I'll give you Led Zeppelin's remake of When the Levee Breaks because that's what I'm thinking. But I've thought that for a long time. But that's where we are, Dan. Listen, ever long on your front when the levee breaks for me, but yeah. <laughs> we have some interesting things because I got to be honest with you. You know, you t- coined the term MAGA, <laughs> ma- the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the For and the, the financial Amazon, markets. Right? For the for financial the fin- markets. No, no, yeah, I let's understand be that. For okay. the financial markets, Correct. right? You've also just coined a phrase, and I guarantee you within a month, everybody's going to be using it, transitory tantrum. And I got to tell you something, Tom Lee is backing you up with the tweet he put out earlier today. Yeah, no, his work is basically saying, hey, listen, he says that the bond market sniffed out this whole transitory tantrum months ago, basically saying that yields on the 10-year Treasury have been saying that inflation worries really topped out in March. You look at that trend, we're going to hit the charts in a little bit on the 10-year U.S. Treasury. You know, people keep asking me, oh, you keep saying the transitory tantrum. What's the problem here? Bond yields are going sideways. Equities are grinding a little higher. Where the tantrum. My point about the tantrum is in the pundit class, the economists, the strategists. Those are the ones making a lot of noise about this. Those are the ones who are trying to jawbone the Fed to taper bond purchases or think about um, coming off the zero interest rate policy. That's the tantrum. All right. So first of all, you're yelling at me. It's like I'm one of the I am one of those people, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm a proud I'm a proud Fed hater for sure. And I chose to use the term hater, but it's not just me. There are a lot of people that lined up behind me. So I'll ask you this question. Apparently, there are over 9 million, that's 9 million job openings. How do you think uh, those employers are going to get people to fill those roles? I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on well, that. Well, can I tell you one thing that yeah, no one's please. talking about? The machines, guy. You remember the bots, the, 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 the robots were taking all the jobs. This was a thing pre-pandemic. Automation, technology, this massively deflationary um, service, all the things that are happening to kind of avoid human interaction, that was happening before COVID. So at the end of the day, I think you're going to have wage inflation on a low end of workers, right? And, and, and that's going to be a great thing for those kind of low end workers who are going to get $15 an hour. And it was a long time coming. Um, but at the end of the day, I think automation and robots and all that sort of stuff is going to ke- actually keep wage uh, inflation in check. No. So let's do it as we say the slide at Earl so we can take a look at some of yeah. the charts that you have so wonderfully prepared. And this is obviously the tenure which we're speaking of. Mm-hmm. Look, topped out around 177 in March when, you know, things were really your taper tantrum. I mean, that's when the inflation bugaboo and the and the inflation boogeyman was rearing its ugly head. Since then, I mean, we're looking at rates at 152 or so in the 10 year 
that haven't been this low in quite some time. And again, it speaks to exactly what you've been talking about, the fact that the market got over its skis on this one. And that's of all the things to worry about. Maybe this isn't one of them, Dan. Yeah, I think there's a a lot of things going on. And guy, you and I have been talking about it on the macro setup since we started back in October. When you think about all of this easy monetary policy, all the fiscal stimulus that is in place, all of the deficit spending, the massive amounts of trillion dollars that have been lopped on to sovereign balance sheets. I mean, interest rates can't go up meaningfully. So you had a great, great call last summer when the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was at 50 bips. You said it's making a beeline to one. And then you thought by the end of this year, we're going to go from one to two. You're halfway there. I'm not telling you you're wrong. And maybe, you know, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen, former Fed um, uh, chair, said over the weekend that higher interest rates may be a good thing for all involved. I don't think it's going to be that good of a thing um, to finance all that debt coming forward. So to me, we may be stuck in a range between one and two percent for a very long time. I don't think interest rates are going up. Well done by you. And again, I mean, this is not for this show necessarily but one has to ask oneself what janet yellen in her current role her current role is doing pontificating about interest rates but this we'll save that for another day i'm i'm sure you know how exercised i am about that but uh, that's listen well I'm, yeah, I'm no, in no. a good mood today. Let's, I woke let's, up in a really good mood. So I know nothing's going to bring me down. Let's go to a multi-year chart on the 10-year Treasury year, because this, I think, is really important. We know that that 1415 range going back 10 years was like what, what, what a lot of people were calling generational lows when it got down there. It took a pandemic, a black swan event to break it and basically have it go to 50 bips. Um, well, here we are. <clears throat> that little consolidation that we just showed on a year-to-date basis, it's at a really key technical level yeah, here. I agree so with be, that. It would be interesting interesting to see what other risk assets do if 10-year yields go below 1.4, because that's the level that I think most people in these markets globally are pretty convinced that we've probably found some support here. That's right. I mean, I think one, you're right. 1.4 is the right level. I would, I would submit you know, sort of 147-ish is where we, not spiked, is where we cratered yeah. down to after that miserable jobs report from April, and then obviously spent the rest of that day, that Friday, trading higher. But you're exactly right. I mean, this chart says it all. So 1.4% you're lying in the sand. We're in this little mini downtrend. You know, I'm going to hold out. I'm not trying to be dogmatic here. I still think rates go higher. I actually think today's going to be interesting today to see how rates do trade on the back of everything. And I would submit again that those job openings um, in my world are a bit inflationary. But again, that's what makes markets. You know what else makes markets, Dan, are these and help me because I'm going to butcher it. But oh, the, 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 the meme, the memes, the memes, <laughs> the meme stocks, which I don't understand. I'll yeah. never understand. That's I have kind, no idea just, what know, it guy, means. That's kind of the point here. Okay. The, the people okay. that are trading these meme stocks, as you would call them, meme stocks or whatever, they, they're break, they're just sticking it to you, Boomer. That, that's sticking what it to doing. the man. That's what they're doing with these things. Listen, I just thought this headline in the journal this morning was really interesting. That turn the you know the meme stocks turn options markets upside down. They're not just turning the options market upside down. They're turning a lot of different related markets, and the, and there's a lot of things to kind of talk about here. I'll just say this. Here's a quote. Traders last week spent $11.6 billion on options uh, contracts tied to AMC, more than the S&P 500 ETF. I mean, listen, this is crazy. Oh, wait, excuse me. 
more than the SPY, the QQQ, and the Tesla uh, combined, okay? And here's the deal, man. AMC's market cap yesterday was about $30 billion. So they spent about $11.5 billion on options contracts related to that Mimi stock, as you would call it. Listen, man, things are getting a bit broken here. And I just want to make the point, and we're going to hit the S&P chart, we're going to hit the NASDAQ chart, and we got to hit that ARK investment chart because that's really important. Um, we are seeing a lot of these popular trades fall the way, uh, you know, like really go bad. Eventually, we've seen it in recent tech IPOs that are not profitable. We've seen it in SPACs. We've seen it in these meme stocks. Now they've come back a little bit. Now we're starting to hear it uh, or see it in crypto. And I think these are really important to keep track of. Let's get to the S&P chart. Listen, we, we've had some people come on our show, Fast Money, and talk about how they thought <clears> the <throat> second round of these meme stocks, you know, the first round, you know, it, it sort of predicated a sell-off and some volatility in the broader market by a couple of weeks. And they think this might be round two. We'll see. But this S&P chart says anything but that. And yeah. here we are, you know, really just right up against that prior all-time high. I mean, within uh, earshot, as I like to say, in the shadow of the all-time high. And that trend line that you drew is still intact. I mean, we've talked about this, obviously, every week on the macro setup, be it Nadex or IG. And we're going to talk about it again now. The fact that each passing day we get uh, further and further away in terms of where that 200-day moving average is. You outlined it. It comes in around 37.70 or thereabouts. That coincides with that horizontal line, that prior low we saw back early March. You know, but here we are seemingly just ready um, to take that next leg higher. That's what that chart suggests to me, although it does not line up against with my views. Yeah, let's move to the NASDAQ, the NDX, um, the one year here, because this one, very interestingly, was trying to make an assault on those um, highs from kind of April, yeah, early, early May or so. You know, some might look at that and say they see the forming of a head and shoulders um, sort of top. It really did test that uptrend that had been in place from the November lows um, in mid last month. And it held here. It's kind of reversing. It's having a tough time at that consolidation um, from April. You see that uh, 200 day moving average down there at 12,600. I, I think what's interesting, Guy, is that maybe as money has come out of some of these altcoins or crypto in general over the last month, you've seen it move back into the NASDAQ 100. Um, so the, it's really, I think, important to keep an eye on that, which then brings us to the ARK Invest, Kathy Wood's uh, ETF here, which we know made a high of 160 back in mid-February. That was really right at the height of that kind of meme GameStop sort of thing. I think Game had started um, to correcting here, but you look at that downtrend, it had a bounce off that nice round uh, number of 100, but it broke above that downtrend guy. It's still below the 200-day moving average. Why is ARK important to keep an eye on here? Well, I think it's such, a, it's such in my opinion, and I think <clears throat> Think you would agree with this it speaks to sort of the the way the market views things it's a sent it's sentiment indicator right yeah. and i think if this thing gets off the mat i think it's it's listen it's not going to lead the broader market but it's, i think it's going <laughs> to take what was a headwind and at least give it um sort of uh smooth sailing not necessarily a tailwind but if this thing starts to rally in a meaningful way i think it suggests that the broader market is going to do the same i think it's just important to have up and just to watch to see you know, how this thing trades. I would submit once again that this downtrend is still intact. And yeah, it might have broken it seemingly, but we're right up against that 200 day. I'd say we fail at the 200 day, which is about 115 and change. And we'll see that's what makes markets. But embedded in this, and we can go to the next slide, 
is the fact that Tesla is such a huge holding. And oh, by the way, Dan Nathan has said on network television that Tesla is the worst. You actually corrected yourself the other night. You (laughs) added me. You said that Tesla. No, it's Tesla that's the worst looking chart out of everything that trades, which I find to be fascinating. Well, you highlight the fact, I think Kathy would, um, I think a lot of her fame has tied to her her steadfastness in Tesla for years. You know, she's been coming on Fast Money. Um, she's been writing about it. It's been one of their biggest holdings um, for years and years. And she thinks this company is literally gonna change the world. All the power to her. I mean, she puts her money where her mouth is, but to your point about this ETF that actually has rebalancing on like a daily basis, 10% of Tesla, uh, or you know, or 10% of that fund is Tesla. Tesla is the original meme stock. What's a meme stock? A meme stock is one where you know the, the crowd, the people on the internet, the ones who want to stick it to the man, who don't really kind of believe in traditional Wall Street, um, you know, goings on. They're saying we're right. We're we have safety in numbers here, right? And we don't care what traditional um, you know metrics are telling you. So I think it's interesting. You look at that list of holdings there. There's a lot of great companies there, Square, Zoom, Shopify, um, Spotify, Coinbase, but they're all controversial in their own right. The valuation might be an issue. They might be playing in an area where they're disrupting some big incumbents. Um, That's the bet that they have made. So I think it is your right guy. From a sentiment um, standpoint, it's important to keep um, an eye on these. And listen, I, I, I feel for Kathy in a way, I feel like she's very transparent, but it also opens her up to a whole heck of a lot of trolling. On the flip side of it is you like to use that Braveheart thing all the time. Maybe it's a jiffy or whatever you call it. I mean, she's got an leader rallying the troops here, you know, whether it be on Reddit or whatever, she's got them going on. She is the Mel Gibson of, <laughs> of the Mimi of the gift people. And it's interesting, you know, you mentioned I'd love to change the world. Before we bring in the great uh, Peter Hanks, I'll just mention obviously Alvin Lee of 10 years after uh, yeah. wrote that song. Great song for those who care. Now, don't you think it's a good time to bring in Peter Hanks? Because why not? Yeah, I, I would just say I would say one last thing. I just want to put a, a bow on that comment ahead, about the, te- a, a, about the Tesla thing. I mean, the Tesla, you know, made a high of nine hundred. It was trading at five seventy um, just the other day. It bounced a little bit. Obviously, Arc bounced a bit. It's down. Uh, it's above that downtrend, but still below that two hundred day moving average. I think that two hundred day moving average in Arc um, is really important. The long term chart of Tesla um, also really important. I know this is called the macro setup. Why are we talking micro? Why there some of these stocks? Some of the sentiment around them is really dictating a lot of the psychology in the stock market. That's why we're talking to them. And, and make no mistake, today, Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these other altcoins, they're getting killed right now. So we're going to hit the levels here. But this is a great time to bring yeah. on Peter Hanks because he's got some Bitcoin charts. He does. And Peter, welcome. And quickly, you know, the great Carter Braxton Worth thinks Tesla is going to trade down to 500. I think there are other people that have said that recently as well. He also thinks Bitcoin's going to trade down to 20,000. But Peter Hanks, welcome. To the macro setup. And before we get into it, um, is there anything you want to talk about before anything you just on your mind? I'm just curious. Well, I was going to start off by saying I think the Bitcoin chart is looking a little bit like LeBron James in the playoffs this year. Thank you. Pretty uninspired and, uh, you know, fairly underwhelming. Not a good chart. And the Lakers are fairly underwhelming. Very underwhelming. He was look. It's amazing how LeBron was really showing his age. And that gets us to the Bitcoin chart. Is Bitcoin showing its age? You know, what are your thoughts on some of these things? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, ARC, obviously one of those lightning rods of speculative appetite, just capturing all the, the mean potential. Bitcoin also falls into that category somewhat as well. So the fact that we've, you know, 
fallen considerably off the 65,000 all-time high. We're breaking beneath major support levels. I've drawn a little wedge on this chart here, which we just slipped out of again last night and this morning. Very uninspired. I think 30,000 is the next major level of support. It's not really getting a boost from any of the uptick in AMC or Nokia or anything like that. So I think yeah. lower is the way out here for Bitcoin. So, Peter, before I know Dan has a question, I want to ask you a quick question. And, and I'm not trying to tee up here. I'm just curious. If you had told me, you know, when Bitcoin was trading 65000 or so, that within a month and a half, two months, it would be pushing down towards 30000 and then you said, given that, what do you think is going to happen to the broader market, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ? I said, the S&P might not be cratering, but the NASDAQ absolutely would be. And we've seen anything. But does it surprise you that there's no correlation between a, a lower uh, crypto and, and the broader markets? A little bit, yeah. Uh, because, again, they are on that same kind of cutting edge of risk appetite. So those large technology stocks with their very uh, expanded multiples, are kind of the first ones to get hit when we do get broader pullbacks in the market. Bitcoin, obviously very risky. So it is surprising. If I were to point to a culprit uh, for this type of price action, it would probably be the slowdown in uh, US 10-year yields, which we've seen kind of uh, eat into the NASDAQ and into yeah. those really, those really uh, extended yeah. tech stocks. That slowed down, and, and we're not seeing that lately. Yeah, so I would say this, Peter. You just mentioned that 30000 is important support. It's important support uh, in Bitcoin, but it, it's really precarious. I mean, like when you think about, go back to kind of earlier this year in January where it had that rip. It broke out in December above 20000 went straight to 30000 Then it went to 40000 It checked back to thirty, and then it went on its way to $64,000. You know, here last week or like, excuse me, last month in May, it had that kind of uh, overnight low or over the weekend low of 30,000. I don't think anyone had the chance to buy it. So precarious um, support, near-term support at best, but you get below 30, you get below that check back that we had in February and then that May low. And to Carter Braxton Worth's point, you're making a beeline back to 20,000, which was that really important psychological breakout. We have that chart here. Um, and you know, to me, that's a log chart. It just kind of shows you um, just how easy it might be the air pocket down there. Any thoughts on that long-term chart? Yeah, I agree. Once 30,000 gives way, if it gives way, I, you know, the wheels come off the bus at that point. And uh, volatility is a two-way street. We knew that on the way up. We now know that on the way going down. Maybe not all the newer investors that got brought in know that, but they certainly do now. And they probably learned a pretty painful lesson in the process. Well, Peter, it brings us to our next chart. I mean, I guess it's not coincidental that as Bitcoin has not been cut in half, but almost effectively been cut in half. I mean, let's let's just put it out there. This our favorite has sort of gotten off the mat. They be they're the Atlanta Hawks of the playoffs. Let might I add, you know, a lot of people didn't didn't give them their just due. And now the Hawks look like world beaters as they just sort of put the Sixers to bed in game one. What are your thoughts here in gold? Right. It couldn't get out of its own way for the longest time. We got that double bottom. It's it's creeping up here. And I've highlighted on this chart, we do have a 50-day moving average crossing over the 200-day. Some traders like to, to think that's, uh, you know, the new beginning of a longer-term uptrend. Uh, it kind of just adds even more support to the gold price chart here around the 1850 level. Uh, again, like I said, with Bitcoin and some of that other risk appetite, 
U.S. Treasury yields have slowed down. I think that's opened the door here for gold. And we're seeing that the next major level of resistance I have highlighted on the chart is 1920. And uh, that could give us a little bit of trouble if we do continue higher. If that gives way, then, you know, we're taking a look at the all-time high, in my opinion. Yeah, so let's go back to, um, we have another chart here, though, that that, that uh, is like a 12-year chart here, Peter. And you draw a line from that 2011 high from the left to the right. Just just make it horizontal, man. And to the penny um, in this rally that we've had, uh, we've stalled out there. I mean, to me, how important is that resistance line? I know we broke above that um, back in the summer of 2020, you know, in August when we're making those highs. But to me, that seems like some fierce resistance i do think it's it's notable resistance uh i think after that break that we got last year and earlier this year it kind of you know erodes the levels uh i don't know respect if you will so once you get an initial breakthrough i think going forward it it doesn't hold the same conviction that it does uh in the past so Yes, it's notable. And I think even on the shorter term timeframes with some of these seasonal headwinds coming in where we just don't have a lot of volume or conviction in the markets either way, uh, it could give us some trouble. But longer term here over the next few months, I'm still looking at the the more recent all time high. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, we quoted Alvin Lee earlier. You might have caught that, although it's probably outside your timeframe. I'll quote Jim Morrison now. I happen to think we're about to break on through to the other side of that high. I know Dan doesn't want to think so because, you know, he's not the gold person that I am. But again, that's what makes markets here, Peter. Next chart we have to talk about is, you know, again, both of our faves, the U.S. dollar, which amazingly, in my opinion, has once again sort of held that that 88 and a half, 89 level and seemingly is bouncing. Thoughts? Well, just like the, uh, the gold chart here, some break is going to be required eventually. And the U.S. dollar has kind of been playing off of those economic data themes, that inflation theme, obviously. Uh, we did get a ton of job openings this morning that the both of you were discussing. So I think the dollar will be on pause until we do get the Fed meeting and some updated uh, economic projections, maybe a dot plot. That could really be the kick that gold needs here. And if there is any hint that uh, gold's maybe not as, or excuse me, the Fed is maybe not as hawkish as we've been believing over the past few days. And I say hawkish very, very lightly here because we have to know where we are, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, that could that could really kick the dollar underneath this longer term trend line. And if that takes place, that dollar weakness could give rise to a gold breakout, could give rise to, you know, uh, more gains in other commodities. And I think one of the more important charts to look at is actually dollar CAD at this point. Uh, We know the Bank of Canada has been kind of on the cutting edge of making their monetary policy moves prior to any other central bank. They did so back in April. We've seen dollar CAD on this vicious downtrend ever since. Well, the Bank of Canada is coming up tomorrow. We'll get some very, very important insight from them. And, uh, you know, that could that could really spark some volatility here as well. Right. So there are two two currencies that everybody looks at when they start to talk about commodities. Obviously, dollar Canada, the Aussie dollar is the other one. So what does this speak to, in your opinion? Should should this do I look at this and say, you know, that commodity run is intact or a potential reversal here is going to derail? I'm just curious as to your thoughts on how we connect those dots. Yeah. So very apt. Uh, Dollar CAD and crude oil 
share a, a fairly positive correlation. It varies over time. But I think at this stage, if you take a look at the crude oil chart, we're seeing a little bit of strength. It's it's knocking on the door of $70 for the first time since I think October 2018. So the first time in a long time, uh, one could say. And again, another potential breakout on the horizon there. It is not the easiest environment to stage these breakouts. But if we do get some follow through strength in there, um, I think dollar CAD could be on the way down, you know, central banks permitting. And I also believe the commodity cycle is intact. We've seen some weakness in some of the more uh, extended commodities like lumber, which was limit up for what felt like weeks on end. And now it's limit down in a few sessions consecutively here. So uh, tides are changing slightly, but I don't think it's time to, to call an end to the commodity uh, uptrend. Yeah, it's interesting, though, that crude chart that you have there. There's a lot of people are crawling for WTI, 80 bucks. Yeah, that's a five-year chart there. That looks like you know an epic sort of bottom there. We had this consolidation. We've held that uptrend over the last year or so. That prior high from about four years ago seems like um, that would be the target. There's no overhead resistance until you get there. It's just interesting. You know, this is a really confusing macro backdrop right now. It seems that there's a lot of consensus about U.S. dollar weakness. There's also a lot of consensus, and this goes back to the transitory tantrum, at least in The Economist and the uh, CEO of uh, investment banks and the pundits that the Fed has overstayed their welcome and therefore they have to come off on this tapering bond purchases and come off ZERP. The only thing that I know from my history is that if they are to do that, that should be dollar positive, right? Rates should go higher. And the last time they did that back in 14 and 15, we saw commodities get destroyed and there was good demand back then too. So to me, you know, maybe Maybe I'm, this is not being dogmatic. This is just thinking back to the last time we were trying to do similar sorts of things. And so you tell me, and that's why I go back to that Tom Lee um, quote from the top of the show here is what his inclination is that it's all positive for stocks. And, and, you know, and that makes some sense to me too, because rates, if they're not going to go meaningfully higher, but we're going to taper bond purchases, that sets up for a good environment where maybe the dollar doesn't rip the way it did back in 14 and maybe commodities don't get hit as hard. Got yeah. Donnie way in here because, you know, this was something that, that that was kind of there were credit concerns, right? In the oil patch back then, right? When, yeah, when commodity yeah. got hit like that. So, I mean, it's, it's what, what I'm trying to say is it's a pretty complicated case here, Maude. Yeah, it's, 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 yes, it's pretty complicated. And in your, in your scenario, history is going to repeat itself. And there's a very good chance that that happens. My pushback, and I'm curious as to Peter's thoughts are. I think I, I hate the phrase. I do think it's different this time because I think the genie's oh. out of the bottle. And listen, if they start to taper, if they cut back their bond purchases, the only reason why rates aren't significantly higher is because they've been in there buying the damn things. And I think that's going to lead to higher rates. And by definition, maybe it should mean a stronger dollar. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think that they've let that get away and the dollar could actually go lower as rates go higher. I think that's going to be uh, negative for negative for uh the S&P 500 negative for the NASDAQ, I think it's going to be very positive for commodities. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Guy. Uh, I'm not necessarily on the boat of rates going higher, dollar going lower. Um, I wouldn't go that far. I think at this stage, my base case is that 
The Fed will look at this employment data that we've seen recently, non-farm payrolls last week and jolts uh, early Tuesday morning and kind of come to the conclusion, maybe with some other data that they're looking at, that there's no reason to act just yet. And that will be the catalyst um, to why it's different this time. Yeah, and no, I, uh, that could also be dollar weakness there. Yeah, yeah I would I, just, uh, let me just add one thing here. So, so what I think the Fed, you know, they have this meeting next week. We're going to get the dot plots. Then they have a meeting in mid-July. Then we have this big period where there's no meeting until September, but we're going to have the St. Louis Fed in Jackson Hole. We know a lot of people are going to be thinking, listen, if the June jobs data is disappointing. Um, you know, listen, a lot of the people who've been calling for a taper are going to explain it away. It's really going to be hard to explain away three consecutive months. But I will tell you this, if the Fed had a brain, and I know what guys answer um, to that question is, they would start doing some very subtle things like letting their, their corporate bond portfolio roll off or selling some of those things, at least to kind of be moving their feet so they can actually take a victory lap at some point much later this year when they do it. And they said, listen, we were unwinding some of these smaller programs. We kind of saw what you guys saw, but we're really focused on these last 9 million jobs or so. And at least they're moving their feet or so. That's what I would think would be the best case scenario for stock market at least. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting you mentioned moving their feet. In the NBA, the, the best defensive players are the guys, and in the WNBA, the gals that move their feet well. Um, unfortunately, that's become a lost art, not only in the National Basketball Association, but also with our Fed officials, Dan Nation. So as much as they should be moving their feet, they're stuck in the frickin' mud. And that's it. And I want to thank Peter Hanks of Daily FX, a strategist that you absolutely should follow. Dan Nathan, I want to thank you. I also want to thank our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. Dan, say what you got to say on the way out. Yeah, listen, you know, the S&P looked like it wanted to break out. It, it, it failed right there at that breakout level. The NASDAQ, it's coming back a little bit. Um, it's consolidating. Maybe we're seeing a little head and shoulders top. Keep an eye on these sentiment sort of indicators, you know, the SPACs and the meme stock and the cryptos. I think that you might see alarm bells go off a little bit. And this is what you've been calling for, Guy, if you were to see Bitcoin break 30,000 and be in a bit of a free fall. Because here's one thing, okay? And I'm just going to say this about all these people that supposedly got so rich long crypto, you know, you can only hold things that are down 20, 30, 40% for so long. And you have to make a decision whether to sell things that are much more liquid would possibly so that's i think your point about correlations guy the last couple times we've seen the stock market sell off we've seen crypto sell off precipitously we have not seen what happens when crypto sells off 50 67 percent and how it's related to some of these other risk asset classes with unusually positive sentiment that seems to be tied so that's coming to a theater near you this summer buddy funny you should mention theater near you in the context of what's going on once again thanks dan thank you peter hanks Thanks to our presenting sponsor, IGUS. And thanks to the great people at Open Exchange for powering this entire thing. Dan, I'll catch you next week. All right, guys.